Hey everyone and welcome to our Good Friday service here at Harvest and wherever you are tuning in from, wherever you're watching from, I just want you to know that you are so welcome in this time with us and whether you are exploring faith, whether you have known the Lord for many years, whether you feel like your faith has gone a little bit stale, I really do pray that the Lord will speak to you where you're at in a very special way as we go through the message today. So um, I would love to pray and then we'll get stuck into the rest of the message. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this whole period, this whole season of Easter, an opportunity for us to look afresh each year at what it meant that you came, that you died and that you rose again. And as we, we really look in this Good Friday service at what it meant that you paid a great price for us on the cross. I ask that you would speak to each of us in a very powerful way and that we would leave these moments together knowing that we've been spoken to by the living God. In your amazing name we pray. Amen. Great. The other thing that we're going to be doing at the end of the message is we are going to be taking communion together. And so if you want to right now, you can pause the message and you can go and get some bread or biscuit or something to symbolize that. And you can get some juice or some wine or something as well. And we're going to do this together at the end. It's going to be a special time together. You can either get that ready now and press pause or you can do it at the end. But we are excited about that. So just to let you know where we're going in the future. So there's a game called Swing Ball. Now I've got it over here, which I'll just lean forward and show to you. This is a little bit what Swing Ball looks like. You've got a racket, that's something like this, and then uh, you've got a ball attached by a string to this top end. And what you do in the game is you each stand opposite each other and the one person hits and it spins around and you start halfway down like this. And what happens is, is the object of one person is to get it to the top, the other to the bottom, and it's a really fun family game. So. Not that I am promoting swing ball in any particular way, but if you don't have this as a family, a great thing for you to get. Now, sorry, just pop that down there. Now, the thing about swing ball is we have this, but I'm semi-ashamed to say that I play this with my wife, Sarah, fairly often, and I have never, ever won. Now, although I don't consider myself a brilliant sportsman, I sort of feel I can play tennis and I can play squash and I can play other sports, uh, particularly racket sports. But in this game, she is mind-blowingly brilliant or I am terrible. But either way, I have never, ever beaten her in the game of swing ball, no matter how hard I try. And I can honestly say, men out there, I am not letting my wife win. I am doing everything I can to win and I am unable to win swing ball. Now this is a very humbling time for me as Sarah's husband, especially because I'm not trying to let her win, but she genuinely smashes me every time. Now, if my value as a man, my value as a person was based on my comparison to how well I played swing ball against Sarah, that would be a very dark place for me to be. Thankfully I don't, and humility is always a very good thing for us as men to learn. But the important thing is, is that God has created each of us uniquely with specific gifts and talents to achieve the purpose that he has called each of us to. And so we should never be comparing ourselves and our abilities to someone else. We should only be concerned about what Jesus is asking us to do and how he is asking us to live. 
And there's a saying that says, comparison is the thief of joy. And I think this is so often true, particularly when we compare ourselves to people who we feel are better than us in certain areas of life. But there may be those who feel that they're actually better than most people on the earth, and therefore comparison may feel like quite a nice thing. For instance, if you feel that you're pretty successful, you're pretty talented, you've got everything going for you, then actually when you compare to everyone else you see around, it can sort of puff you up a bit, and you can sit there going, well, actually, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, these other people have work to be done, but actually I am doing okay. Now, the Pharisees in the biblical times were specialists at this. They were very, very good at seeing everyone else as below them and them as higher up in the food chain. But one of the greatest dangers of comparison comes in the area of sin. Yes, it's dangerous in other areas, but one of the key, in fact, probably the greatest area of comparison comes in the area of sin. You see, we can believe that our wrongdoing towards God isn't actually that bad when we compare ourselves to other people around us who we may feel have done worse things or do do worse things than us. But this is incredibly dangerous because you see the bottom line is is that one day you and I are going to stand before a perfect holy God. We're not going to stand with our friends and compare ourselves against our friends in the presence of God. We're going to stand alone and we're going to give an account to a perfect holy God who cannot be in the presence of sin at all. The, what we consider the smallest sin. Maybe it's a word of gossip. Maybe it's a little lie. What we consider the smallest sin, he cannot be in the presence of. That is how perfect he is. And he is the only one we are going to compare ourselves to on that day when we stand before him face to face. Now God's wrath, his extreme anger towards sin and wrongdoing from what we consider the smallest to the largest sins is clearly seen in a great passage in Exodus 12. In this passage, we're going to read it shortly, he pours out his wrath and his anger towards the Egyptian people, Pharaoh and the one leading the Egyptian people, for what they were doing to his chosen special people, the Israelites. Now he had sent Moses, his chosen person, to lead them out of Egypt. He had sent him numerous times to demonstrate his miraculous power towards Pharaoh. Pharaoh had rejected this. Then he had spoken to Pharaoh and he had said, listen, there's going to be a number of plagues that are going to come upon you unless you will let my people go. And each time Pharaoh sort of considers letting them go and then he changes his mind. And we pick up the story at the final plague that God has said he's going to send. And he says, I am going to take out, I'm going to kill the firstborn of everyone, human and animal, in the whole area if you will not let my people go. If you've never watched the movie Exodus, it's a Hollywood movie. I don't think it particularly follows the Bible at all. But one thing it does show is the horror of what it must have been like to face those plagues. So if you've never watched it, even if just for a little bit of a visual idea of what it felt like in the time, I would encourage you to do so. But now God obviously has shared this or through Moses has shared what's going to happen to Pharaoh. And then look at what it says or what Moses says to the people. This is in Exodus 12 verses 21 to 23. Look at what 
um, happens. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel. This is the leaders of the different people in Israel. And he said to them, go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop. This was a herb of the day. It was easily grown. It was easily found and uh, it was used in many different sort of cleansing rituals. He says, take this cluster of hyssop herb, dip it in the blood that's in the basin once you've slaughtered this animal and brush the lintel and the doorposts. So brush the top of the door outside your home and brush the doorposts with the blood. None of you may go out of the door of the house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. The people have to take an animal and they have to slaughter it. Now, we don't really do this. Majority of us probably don't. In different parts of the world, this still happens where if you're going to eat meat, you kill it on your own. And we don't have to do this as payment for our sin as in the Old Testament people had to do because Christ has already come, which we're going to share on more in a little bit. But killing an animal showed the gravity, the weight of sin. It showed the cost of sin because that was a costly animal to the people. And it showed the weight of it in the nastiness of what had to happen. The need for a price to be paid. Now, although slaughtering animals in that time would have been fairly normal, it still wouldn't have been that nice. I want you to put yourself in that place right now. Imagine in your garden, you've brought home a, a lamb or you've brought home a goat. You've got the kids around. I've got little girls, they're three and five years old. Imagine having your kids around and there in front of them, you, you have to kill this animal. It wouldn't have been the nicest scene. Maybe there would have been tears from the kids. But what it demonstrated is just how terrible sin is in the eyes of God and how there needs to be a payment for it. And so this would have happened, an animal would have been killed. And then the next step was to take this herb plant. I don't have one myself. I've got a paintbrush that I'm going to use to demonstrate it. And this is what would have happened. So I've got a little bit of a lintel here as a demonstration. So this is obviously just the doorway into the house and I've got a little picture of it here. What would have happened is, is they would have had to take the hyssop branch. I'm just going to use my brush over here and this would have needed to be painted along the lintel and then down the sides of the doorposts. Can you imagine the sight? Egyptians probably laughing at the Israelites but all of them having slaughtered an animal bit by bit on that evening, on that afternoon, painting with blood along the lintel and the doorposts. They're being obedient to what Moses had shared with them, saying, if this is painted on the door of your house, you are going to be saved. So keep that in mind as we get towards the end of our message and we'll talk more on it. So the people would then eat the animal after they had killed it and they put the blood on the doorpost. They were to be dressed ready to leave because God said, I am going to save you from these people. And as the Lord passed over the houses, he said, as he saw the blood on the lintel, he would pass over that house. He would know that they were following his commands and they would be spared. 
Can you imagine the people in the homes, the moms and dads in those Israelite households waiting to see what would happen? As the destroyer moved through Egypt, there would have been wailing. Those houses were close-knit. They were tightly together. They would have heard screams coming as the firstborn was killed in different places. And then can you imagine hearing screams in maybe the Egyptian house right next to them, hearing screams and wailing as the firstborn was killed. Can you imagine them sitting in anxiety, maybe with their firstborn right next to them, and, 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 and sitting there anxiously going, will that blood on the doorpost, on the lintel really be enough? Are we going to be saved? And they would have been anxious and holding on tightly to their firstborn, going, Lord Jesus, please don't take our firstborn. And just saying, we, we hope and we trust that the blood is enough. And then there would have been a silence. And then maybe some wails heard again in the household next to them and more crying as it passed and as the destroyer passed down. They would have looked as a family to the blood on the doorpost and they would have gone. It was enough. The blood of that lamb was enough to save us from the wrath of God against the sin of the Egyptian people. Eventually, as Pharaoh realized that God was serious and this was the final straw, he, he let the people go. They were released into freedom. Sure, he chased after them, but they were still free into the desert. But not forever. You see, this story is a picture pointing towards the coming of Christ that would happen in years to come. Because you see, no matter how many animal sacrifices are made, no matter how many times our sin is paid for, in a sense, by an animal or anything else, no matter how much that is done, mankind will never be fully right before God just by the killing of an animal. You see, a perfect sacrifice is needed for a perfect God. Nothing else will stand the test. And so God had to come himself. The only one absolutely perfect had to come in the flesh, fully God and fully man to pay a perfect sacrifice. This is where the wrath of God and the love of God collide. This is the place where that happens. Sin cannot be swept under the carpet, otherwise God would not be just. We all want a just God. We just don't always want him to be just towards us and our sin. But a price needed to be paid. But he did not want us to have to face that wrath. He didn't want us to have to take it. And so he took it himself by coming as Jesus Christ and by dying, not as an individual lamb that had to be slaughtered, but as the ultimate lamb for each one of us. And so in Luke 22 verses 14 to 20, Jesus is seated with his disciples celebrating the Passover feast. It had been celebrated since that day that the Israelites were rescued from the Egyptians and it had continued to be celebrated every year at what God had done. And so now was no different, but it was different. Jesus was celebrating it with the disciples and he knew that moments later he was going to be killed as the perfect lamb once and for all, they didn't quite get all the things he had been talking about, but it was significant because this was the last time the Passover feast would be celebrated without the perfect lamb being there. And so we're going to read together, and I'm right towards the close. We're going to read together Luke 22, verses 14 to 20. Luke 22, verses 14 to 20. This is what it says. When the hour came, 
he, this is talking about Jesus, reclined at the table and his followers, his apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He was talking about him dying on the cross, being the perfect lamb. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave it to them and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He was talking about this old covenant of um, our price for our sin being paid by animals. It's finished. I am coming as the new lamb. And he said, this uh, blood which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. And now he shares that actually setting in motion is what's going to happen to him in the moments ahead. Jesus was explaining to the apostles that he was about to become the ultimate lamb whose blood would be shed not on the doorposts of a home as I showed you earlier but on a rough wooden cross as he gave his life for you and I. You see painting the blood on the doorpost meant that the Israelite people were safe from the wrath of God towards Egypt and that freedom was at hand but not ultimate freedom. You see, accepting the blood shed by Jesus Christ on the cross means that the wrath of God towards your sin and towards mine will pass over you. His wrath will pass over us. It means that we will experience freedom and relationship with him now and for all eternity. You see, I don't know about you, but often I can look at the horror of my sin and I can wonder is really what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me, which we're looking at on Good Friday, is it really enough? When I look at the things I've done, the things I've thought, the things I've said, the attitudes of my heart, my motives, I can often go, Lord Jesus, is what you did on the cross really enough for my sin to be forgiven and for me to be, stand before you one day perfect because of what you did on the cross? Is it really sufficient to take my sin away? Well, wonderfully, it is. It was sufficient on that day to save the Israelite people from the wrath of God. How much more will Jesus' blood, the perfect Lamb's blood, be sufficient to take away your sin and mine so that we don't have to face it? So today as we close, I would love us to take communion together. If you haven't paused yet, you can do that now. Otherwise, if you have it with you, I would love us to take communion as Jesus did with his disciples, remembering his price paid for you and I on the cross. So I have something to symbolize bread here, and I would love us to take this together. This is what Jesus said in uh, Luke. He said in verse 19, this is my body. He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the bread together, and as you do, let's thank the Lord Jesus for his body broken for you and I on the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
Lord Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you that it was broken, that it was whipped beyond recognition. The suffering that you faced was absolutely horrific. Thank you that you suffered so that we don't have to eternally suffer. Thank you that your body was broken so that we can experience ultimate healing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And then in the same way, he took the cup. And this is what he said. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So what he was saying is he was saying, this cup is to symbolize my blood. And this blood is so much greater than any blood shed from an animal. This is the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you now and for all time. And so whatever you're using to symbolize the wine, let's take it together. And as we do, let's thank the Lord Jesus for his blood shed for you and I for forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood shed for me and for, for everyone um, who would turn to you for salvation. Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege of every year celebrating the fact that you died, but we look towards in two days' time you rising again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to pay the ultimate price so that we don't have to. Thank you for your love for us. I ask that our sin would take on a greater weight as we line it up to the perfect God. I pray that we would want to live a life of purity just as the pure and perfect God has given his life for us. I ask that today and going forward, Easter, what you did for us would take on a greater and greater weight than ever before. That it wouldn't just be something that we do, but it would be something that transforms us from the inside out. In your powerful name we pray, amen. Amen, I just wanted to say that if you have been watching this, if you've been listening, and if you've never given your life to Christ, if this is all absolutely new, new for you, if it doesn't make complete sense, I, know, I want you to know that you can give your life to Christ right now. You can say, Lord Jesus, it makes sense to me. I see that you gave your life for me as the perfect sacrifice, and you can say, I believe, and you can ask him to forgive you your sins, and you'll be an absolutely new creation right now. And then in the, the show notes below, there'll be an email contact address. You can get in touch. We would love to send you resources and videos to watch and things to go through. We'd love to talk to you on WhatsApp or Skype and to just talk you through your, your next steps in, in faith. And as a church, I'm really excited about us looking towards Easter Sunday in a few days time where we get to celebrate Jesus who rose again. So thank you so much for being with us. And I just really pray that this has been a special time for you. And I can't wait to celebrate together as a church on Sunday. So thank you for your time. Thank you for tuning in and have a great rest of your evening.